0: Welcome to the Resurrection Church Podcast. Resurrection Church exists for the glory of God and the joy of His people. If you're looking for a church in the upstate of South Carolina, please join us nine eleven 9 and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 900 North Main Street in Greer, South Carolina. We pray you'll be blessed by this message. If you would, grab your Bible stay standing with me. My name is Jonathan. I'm one of the elders here at Res, and we're so thankful you've decided to join with us. We're going to continue our study in Luke. We are in chapter 16. We hope you've read ahead and anticipating what what we have here in chapter 16, because it's a good one. We're going to read verses 1 to 13 today in chapter 16. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bible. He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I heard about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. And he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, a, measure, a hundred measures of wheat, and he said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commanded the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings." One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you who have not been faithful in the right unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of God for the people
1: of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Thank you, Jonathan. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all this morning, regulars and visitors alike. Um, Every April for the last few years, um, Jonathan, who just read our text, he and his wife Mandy, Uh, Through his business, they put on a golf tournament uh, that uh, is based in Spartanburg, and the beneficiaries of that charity golf tournament are uh, both the First Tee of the Upstate, which is kind of an after-school program for kids through golf, but also the missions department here at Resurrection Church benefits from that tournament. And... Every year, it's been amazing to watch how God's grown that tournament and how the Lord's blessed it. And this past year, Res Missions received a little over $27,000 from that golf tournament. Isn't that amazing? It's awesome. Now, the question is, what do you do with that money? Well, this this is what's so cool is also every year after the tournament and after everything gets accounted for and we, we actually get the money in hand the trustees at Resurrection Church have this incredible, fun meeting where we sit down, we look at how much we have, and we decide who to give it to. So within the last couple of weeks, we gave out about $25,000 to various missionaries and other Christian organizations here in Greenville so at home and abroad we gave away about twenty five thousand dollars to various missions organizations here at home and abroad and it was so fun now if you want to know who we gave to in this week's eblast, which this is also a shameless plug for the e-blast if you don't get it okay it's very important Check out the e-blast because there's going to be a list of everybody that benefited from that tournament in the e-blast this week along with links for you can read about what these various missionaries and ministries do. But it was so fun. And you know what else it was? Smart. It's fun and it's smart to use every resource and asset that God entrusts to you for the benefit of his kingdom, right? Hold that thought, okay? This text is a doozy, is it not? I, I told uh, Bob this week and, and, and a few others that the elders met on Monday night to wrestle with Luke 16. We spent about two hours in it, and I lost all my hair as, as a result, um, and it, <laughs> When it was over, though, it, we felt like we had a sense of what Luke 16 was about, but it was a, it was a grueling meeting for the elders, because this is, a, this is a difficult chapter. And I got in my truck to come home, and I decided, you know what, I'm going to see what R.C. Sproul had to say about Luke 16. If you don't know, know R.C. Sproul, he's, he's gone to be with Jesus now, but he's a great theologian, Bible scholar, and a great expositor of the Word. I, I quickly pulled up his website, found a sermon on Luke 16, 1 to 13. I thought, I'm just going to see what he said. And I I pulled it up and started to drive home. And the first thing he said after he read his text was this. If I had my preference and I wasn't so committed to teaching straight through books of the Bible, I would have just skipped Luke 16. And I turned it off. I thought, that's all I needed. Lord, thank you. Not alone. But but understand this. If you were here last week, you might feel like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth because I, I really admonished us you don't have to have a seminary degree, because I don't have one, to read and understand God's Word and apply it appropriately. And I still mean that, even when we come to a challenging text. Just the fact that God inspired His Word to be read and understood, that's true, right? And by everyday ordinary people, okay? That doesn't mean there aren't going to be times where you've got to work for it where it's going to take a lot of thought and prayer and wrestling and questioning and talking with each other. You know, Martin Luther, the great reformer, once said, I beat on text until they yield their water. Sometimes I feel that way. Sometimes you just got to dig in. So what's going on in Luke chapter 16? Well, it's probably... I would say, not hard for us right out of the gates to identify with this dishonest manager, at least in part. Not that you're dishonest or or that you have been dishonest ever, but at least in the fact that we've been in a place like this guy where we're going, what am I going to do now? This guy has been wasting his master's resources and he's called on the carpet for it. The master says, Come bring me an account of your wastefulness. I want to see it. And so here's what the manager does verse three and four. The manager said to himself, What what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? He's been fired, and I'm not strong enough to dig, don't want to do manual labor, and I'm too ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. What's he doing? He's plotting. He's scheming. In order to secure for himself a future. Because he's on the verge of being homeless and destitute because he's been fired. I've lost my job. There's no hope with that. So how am I going to survive? Here's what I'm going to do. And he goes to at least some of his master's debtors and he starts to negotiate with them. He settles one debt for 50% off. He settles another debt for 20% off. And then he comes... Now, the master is not following best practices for firing somebody. You don't fire somebody and then give them time. But in this parable, which you don't want to press the parables of, uh, details of a parable too far... We've said this many times, parables don't walk on all fours. They're like jokes in some ways, and that you don't want to question the details too much. But regardless, this manager has got some time. He's got an opportunity. There's a window that's open, and he decides to maximize it by negotiating, by settling with some of his master's debtors. Why? Why does he do that? Because these debtors who have now had their accounts settled at a discount with the master are now emotionally in debt to this manager. So that when he's fired, he can go back to them and say, hey, remember how I discounted your debt? Well, now I need a place to stay. Now I I, I need... Some food. I you owe me one. You got the sense of the parable? To which the master goes, essentially, that was smart. That was smart. Look, look, look at verse 80, the first part of verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Now, let me say a couple of things here. The master doesn't commend the dishonest manager for his dishonesty. That's important. The master doesn't commend the dishonest manager for necessarily making a good business deal for the master. In other words, I don't think the manager has earned his job back. You with me? I simply think the master went, huh, good for you. That was smart shrewdness Shrewd's not a word we use very often is it i I don't I, i can't remember the last time i ever used that word essentially what it means is street smart my dad's a businessman i've only known my father as a businessman all my life and i've heard him say this many many times the best business people are those who are able to quickly size up a situation or a person and make the right call to their own advantage That's what sharp business people do. They size up a situation and they just make the right decision for their own advantage. This is what the dishonest manager is being commended for. You were smart. You took the opportunity you had and you leveraged it in order to secure for yourself a future. Shrewdness is what's being lauded in this parable. Smart, doing the smart thing. That's the positive. The negative would be, don't be stupid or wasteful. Now, the question is, what in the world does Jesus want his people to do with that? You know, it's important, I think, to realize who Jesus is talking to. Did you notice in chapter 16, verse 1, that he has turned his attention to his disciples That doesn't mean that there aren't other people there. Perhaps the sinners and tax collectors that he was eating with in chapter 15 are still there. We know the Pharisees and scribes are there. Jesus is going to address them in the second half of this chapter. But he's turned his his attention to his disciples. And who are his disciples? If you remember last week in chapter 15, the question at hand was, Jesus, why are you hanging out with those people? And those people referred to who? Sinners and tax collectors. Jesus, those are not the people you ought to be eating with. Why are you hanging out with the people you're hanging out with? And Jesus responds with three parables that make one big point. He's hanging out with the people he's hanging out with because he's on the hunt for that which is his that was lost, i.e. the sheep, the coin, and the son. Chapter 15. If you missed last week, go back and read that. He's on the hunt for that which is his that was lost. And when he finds that which is his that was lost, he has great joy. Who are his disciples? They are found people. People in which he has great joy. People that have been called by him to live a different kind of life. The kind of life where you take up your cross and follow him. You give up life on your terms. People who have gone through the, and this is all stuff we've covered in Luke, people who have gone through the narrow door and entered the kingdom, right? People who have such radical devotion and radical affection for this Jesus that it relativizes all their other affections to the point that it looks like hate. You remember what Jesus said? If you want to come after me, you got to hate your father, mother, brother, sister, wife, children, even your own life, or you can't be my disciple. These are people that are called into radical devotion, radical affection for this Jesus. They've been found by him. And it's in this setting and in this context to his disciples that he tells this parable about shrewdness, which so far, without spiritualizing it, you got to put your thinking caps on today. Are y'all, y'all got them on? Okay. Without spiritualizing it or theologizing it, at this point, shrewdness means taking every advantage you can with whatever opportunity or asset you have to, to secure for yourself an advantage. Fair? Thank you, Rachel. Rachel's with me. That's what we've got so far. So to his disciples, he now says this, verse 8 and 9. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Everybody say shrewdness. For the sons of... And now he's starting to apply it. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Mm, that stings. And I tell you... Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. So, the first thing Jesus says is that the sons of this world, as he's starting to apply this parable about shrewdness, the sons of this world, which I think is simply a designation for all of those who are not Jesus's. They're not in the kingdom They don't have eternity in view. The sons of this world are more shrewd than the sons of light, which I think is a designation for those who are Jesus' people, those who are in the kingdom, those who do have eternity in view. Jesus is doing what was typical of rabbis, and it's very common for Jesus to do this, is to argue or make his point from the lesser to the greater. And you've already experienced this with Jesus. Look at this on the screen, Luke chapter 11, verse 13. We're going from lesser to greater. If you then, who are evil, that's the lesser, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father, that's the greater, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Do you see that? Here's another one, Luke 12, verse 28. These are a little bit easier than maybe the parable of the shrewd manager. But if God so clothes the grass, that's the lesser, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? That's the greater. Oh, you of little faith. Here's what we've got as Jesus applies this parable. If the sons of this world are shrewd, maximizing, leveraging every asset and opportunity that they have For a personal benefit in the future, that's the lesser. So too, how much more should the sons of light also be shrewd? Are you tracking? That's the lesser to the greater. Shrewd how? How should the sons of light be shrewd. Well, the unjust manager was shrewd when he leveraged his opportunity and his resources to his immediate advantage. That might be the lesser. The sons of light should leverage, this is verse 9, unrighteous or temporary wealth for an eternal advantage. Now, by unrighteous, Jesus doesn't mean that wealth or money in and of itself is evil or wicked. By calling wealth unrighteous, he just simply means that it's not sacred. It's neutral and it's temporary. That's why he says in verse 9, it will fail. And we know that. So unrighteous wealth is not evil in itself. It's neutral. It can be leveraged in a shrewd way or not a shrewd way. Okay, He also isn't saying that people can be saved by leveraging temporary wealth to make friends who will welcome them into heaven one day. That's not his point. What he's saying is, is that in the same way the shrewd manager leveraged his opportunity to gain a temporal advantage, so too should disciples leverage every asset that they have, every temporal resource they have, to gain eternal advantage and you're looking at me with furrowed brows and I understand why because you're going Bradley that sounds meritorious that sounds like we're God's a slot machine and we put the coins in and we get out what we want that's not what Jesus is talking about here don't think meritorious okay Jesus is not in this context talking about how people are saved How they are justified or how they are forgiven. This the point of this parable is not you can use your money in order to be saved eternally. That's not what he's talking about here, okay? He's just simply saying that believers can leverage temporary resources for eternal benefit. Okay? To which you might still be saying, that sounds selfish. Does it sound selfish? I've said this before. You have to let the Bible create entirely new categories of thought for you. On our own, we don't have an imagination for holy, righteous selfishness. But it's all over our Bibles. Mark chapter 9. Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, you want to be great? How many of you want to be great? Let's let's just be brutally honest. How many of you want to be great? I want to be great. Jesus says, you want to be great? That's good. He doesn't ding them for wanting to be great, but he says, if you want to be great, become the servant of Luke chapter 9. Jesus said, you want to save your life? How many of you want to save your life? Some of you don't. I'm, we, we offer counseling here. How many of you want to save your life? Yes, you do. Jesus says you want to save your life. You must. Second Corinthians, Paul says you want to be strong. Boast in your weakness. Ephesians five, he says. Paul says you want to make the most of every opportunity. In evil days, don't get drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. Psalm 37, you want to have the greatest joy possible? How many of you want the greatest joy possible? Yeah, we do. Psalm says, delight yourself in the Lord. There is such a thing as holy and righteous selfishness. Why do you read your Bible? Why do you pray? Why do you come to church? Why do you worship? You might say, for the glory of God. Of course you do. Of course we do. Absolutely. But the more you read this book, you know what you come to discover? is that the glory of God and our joy are running hand in hand for all eternity. I press into him for the joy of it. I worship for the pleasure of it. Why? Because I want to. And he gets the glory. I want to be great, so I serve. We struggle with this because we know ourselves, don't we? We know our heart issues. We know where we tend to go with this. But don't discount the fact That if you're saved, God has given you, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of the living God. The word of God bears fruit and increases wherever it goes. Could it be possible, could it be possible that the gospel doesn't say to us, throw away your desire to be great, to save your life, to maximize every opportunity, or to have the greatest joy possible. Perhaps the gospel doesn't say you can't have that. Perhaps the gospel says you can have that, just not on your terms. Certainly, Jesus calls his followers to deny themselves and follow him. But don't ever think that God isn't incentivizing his people to do that. Why would you deny yourself and follow him? Because there's no greater joy, and there's no other way to save your life. So, could we, in a holy and righteous way, a godly and biblical way, look at every asset, and and money is particularly what's in view in Luke 16. We're going to see that in a minute. But I don't want us to think just about money, But I think money is an emphasis in this chapter. Could it be possible that we could seek to leverage and maximize every last resource and asset we have for the sake of the kingdom and our benefit and it be perfectly holy and righteous? Is that possible? Let's keep reading, verse 10. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in, un- in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what, w- that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Four times in those verses... He uses the word faithful. Faithful. Why is that? I think these verses function a lot like a proverb. You're, how many of you have spent some time in Proverbs before, right? Proverbs, this is important, Proverbs talk about how life typically or usually works. That's what we've got here. Faithfulness in little typically is going to result in faithfulness with much, right? Same with dishonesty. Dishonesty in little, in little, typically speaking, is going to translate into dishonesty with much. Unfaithfulness with unrighteous wealth is not going to lead to being entrusted with true riches. If you're unfaithful in that which belongs to someone else, typically speaking, you're not going to be entrusted with that which is your own. Can we connect the dots? The dishonest manager was commended for his shrewdness. He leveraged the opportunity he had for a temporary gain. And the master said, smart. Jesus then calls his disciples to be shrewd, which I think in this context at least means Leveraging whatever resource, asset, opportunity we might have for the sake of eternal gain. And then he gives us a string of what we might consider to be proverbs about faithfulness and the rewards or consequences for faithfulness or unfaithfulness. All that to say, I think, that faithful stewardship kingdom stewardship includes being shrewd with whatever's been entrusted to us for the sake of the kingdom and eternal benefit. Now he sums it up. Verse 13. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other, you cannot serve God and money. Notice he doesn't say you shouldn't serve God and money. What does he say? It's not possible. You cannot serve God and your money. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you've got to be clear about who you're serving. And to be honest with you, this is challenging. This is convicting. Because as believers, how tempted are we to serve our money, to serve our stuff, to live for temporary gain and benefit? The thing is, we, I think we know we realize it's not possible to serve God and money at the same time. We've probably all been in situations where that came to a head in our life and we realize we can't serve God and money. And at the same time, we know the joy. When I stood up here and I said to you, Res Missions gave away $25,000 to missionaries and missions organizations at home and in other parts of the world, you grinned and you laughed and you clapped because you know there's nothing sweeter than leveraging what you have for eternal benefit. You know that personally and we know that corporately. And you know what else we know? Can I be bold? I'm going to be anyway. We know that not doing that is wasteful and stupid. It's stupid. There's no other word for it. Why? Because we know this life is temporary. We know that unrighteous wealth will fail at some point. It only gets you so far. Why do the wealthy spend so much money on psychologists to help them with their depression? because we know leveraging temporary resources for temporal benefit the fun in that only lasts for a little while the security in that only lasts for a little while the joy in that only lasts for a little while but at some point you come to realize this isn't this is not what i'm called to do or be but conversely We've tasted and we've seen what it's like to be all in with this Jesus. It's why I I, I tell people everybody, every Christian should go on a short-term missions trip. If you've never been on a short-term missions trip, I wonder if you've ever had the joy of experiencing what it's like to have an entire week of your life devoted to one thing. One purpose, one goal, the kingdom. You wake up and it's that's what we're doing today. You go to bed and you went, that's what we did today. And that's what we're going to do tomorrow. What would it be like if we could minimize distractions, if we could minimize temptations to succumb to lesser joys and seek after lesser treasures? What might it look like for the body of Christ, for the sons of light to be shrewd? smart with what's been entrusted to us. You remember this parable? Two parables, really. Matthew 13, 44 to 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, then in his joy, then in his joy, I'm going to say it till you get it. Then in his joy... He goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Why? Yes, for joy and two, because it's shrewd. When you find a treasure that's worth selling everything for, what's the smartest thing you can do? Sell everything and go get it. Go all in. Why would you lose your life? To save it. Why, Why become the servant of all in order to become great? Great. Why delight yourself in the Lord to have the greatest joy possible? Why boast in your weakness so that you can be strong? Why be filled with the Spirit in order to maximize every opportunity in evil days? Yes, for your joy, and because that's shrewd. It's smart. It's the wisest way you can use your life and your assets. And that, I think, is what Jesus is commending to his people. Be smart about it. Be smart about it. Let me say this last thing. Think think about your your future. And I don't mean your future in this life. I mean your future in eternity. Let's just think about that for a minute. And as we think about that, let me say this. I believe God is sovereign. I believe the Bible teaches that God is sovereign. I believe God has put his spirit in every believer and the spirit is at work in all of us to conform us to the image of Christ. And that is going to happen. Amen? I believe what the apostle Paul said in Philippians, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. But I wonder, I just wonder, if when the kingdom comes in its fullness. And believers are called to account. We are going to be called to account for how we have stewarded what God's entrusted to us. We will not be saved and eternally justified on the basis of works. But the Bible seems to indicate that there is going to be a reckoning for how we've stewarded. And I wonder, it's not entirely clear in scripture but i wonder if at some point the lord will look at some people and say i know you i love you welcome into eternal rest but you missed a lot of opportunities you weren't as smart about it as you could have been I can't prove that, but I just wonder. I know the Bible says, isn't every tear going to be wiped away by God? Yes, but I wonder if some of those tears that will be eternally wiped away will be over. I didn't maximize the opportunity at hand, regardless of whether that happens or not. And candidly, I don't know. So this is kind of like Paul in in Corinthians, where at one point he says, the Lord says this, not me. And then at another point he says, I say this, not the Lord, even though it was still inspired. Whether or not we will have regret over stewardship or lack thereof in eternity, that's just Bradley speculating. Do you understand the difference? You got, sometimes you've got to give me room to just speculate a little bit and wonder. These are the questions that I have when I read a text like this. But regardless, here's what I'm confident in, 100%. Biblically, these are gracious words from Jesus that are meant to challenge us. They're meant to convict us. And they're meant to call us to be smart about the opportunity we've been given. And what is that opportunity? We've been called out of darkness and into light. We've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. We now love the light, and we hate the darkness. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and now we've been made alive together with Christ, and we've been seated with him right now in heavenly places. We have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead living in us. We have a copy in our hands and on our phones and wherever we go of the sacred inspired words of the living God. And we've been given time, breath, money, energy, skills, talent, spiritual gifts. We've been given so much. Yes, money's in view, but I think it's bigger than money. The sons of light must be shrewd about what we've been entrusted with and leverage it. Not just in, yes, is self-sacrifice going to be involved? Absolutely. But that's not all. Jesus says, do this for your own benefit. Do it for your joy. Do it, not because you're meriting salvation or justification or even meriting more wealth. That's not what's in view here. But what is in view is that there's eternal benefit for us to leverage everything we have for the benefit of his kingdom. So it took me... 35 minutes to unpack a text to get us to one simple little point. Sons of light, daughters of light, be smart about it. Use whatever has been entrusted to you for the sake of the kingdom. Because when you do, not only will it be put to good use, you won't waste the master's resources but you will have great joy. You'll be smart. You'll be shrewd. And so much more shrewd than the sons of this world. Let's pray. Lord, I want to be smart. I, 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 want, to, I want to maximize every opportunity That you give me, I want to use every resource that you entrusted, you have entrusted to me in the way that you intend for me to. I don't want to waste anything. So I pray over all of us and over my family this morning, my brothers and sisters in Christ, you would first of all establish in us a righteous resolve to be good stewards, kingdom stewards, faithful stewards of whatever you've entrusted to us and that we would be smart about it, not wasteful, but smart. And in order to do that, we're going to have to have your help, the help of your word and of your spirit, so help us do that. And I pray that we would pursue these things in the right way, with the right motives, for perhaps, even though this makes us uncomfortable to think about it this way, for a holy and righteous selfishness. That for all the right reasons and in all the right ways, we would seek the benefits that you want your people to have. Help us understand that. Lord, there's... A lot of ways that could be fleshed out, and some good, some bad. But I, I'm not inclined, Jesus, to go further than you did in Luke 16 this morning, just simply to say, help us walk this out for the sake of your glory and the spread of your fame and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
0: We hope you've been blessed by this message from Resurrection Church please visit resfaith.com. That's RezFaith.com, where you can find more sermon archives, learn more about our church, and find a place to give to our ministry. We'd be glad to hear from you. Drop us an email at connect at